It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday march 2nd and you're listening to episode 405 today i am joined uh by guest carla cop from weird giraffe games and galactic raptor games hey carla hey thank you so much for having me on yeah i'm excited to to have you on the show we've we've actually never met uh, but tangentially, we know uh, a lot of the same people, as Facebook tells me. <laughs> yeah, the Facebook board game community is rather large. It is. It's insane how large it is, actually. Well, I uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna learn a bit about what it is you do um, with your companies. Uh, but I always like to start out to just uh, find out a little bit about you know some games that you're interested in. Uh, what have you been playing lately? Anything that's jumped out at you? So last night I played, uh, it was Flotilla for the uh, second time. Uh, well, Flotilla, the base game. Um, I played Flotilla, the expansion version, which is still a prototype uh, a couple weeks ago. And I liked it enough to go out and buy Flotilla. Um, have you heard of that game? I have. Yes, I haven't played it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, so um, it is heavier than the usual game I play, um, but it is, uh, like, it's so simple at its core, like, each of your turns, you're just playing one card, and the one card, you'll be able to either get tiles so that you can uh, go searching for resources, um, because, well, the, the story of the game is really cool to me, where um, it's like some event in history, like, it happened, uh, and, like, for our history, it was fine. Everything worked out, and nothing terrible happened. But in this history, it just, like, blew up, and now we're all living on these flotillas, which are, like, these outposts in the middle of the ocean. And so, like, what we're doing is you can be, like, one of the divers to go get resources, to sell them, and there's all these different guilds and stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed it because, like... Uh, there was a lot going on, but your turn was just so simple. You're just playing a card and doing the thing that is written on the card. Um, it's kind of like Concordia, uh, like that. Awesome. That sounds really, that, first of all, that theme is amazing. Um, but no, I love games where it's the simple mechanic, you know, you do one thing. Um, I, I just adds so much to the level of approachability and, uh, yeah, well, that sounds really interesting. So, uh, yeah, I have lately, you know, I have not been playing a lot of new stuff. Um, I've been playing a lot of games with my kids. So uh, last night I was fortunate enough to play uh, Lucky Ducks, which is a game where you uh, have motorized ducks going in a circle and you flip them over to find uh, the right color of duck that you're trying to collect. But we play it as a co-op game uh, and it's pretty cool because it's a co-op game that you literally can't lose unless you lost one of the ducks because... <laughs> Because, yeah, you just you flip the ducks over until you win. Um, and we all have our own colors, but I'm not sure why, because when we flip them over, you just give the color that you flipped over to whoever. So it's uh, um, but my uh, my five year old daughter is super into it. So uh, that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, and the ducks are so cute. Like, I have, uh, one, I don't know why I have one of the ducks, but I have one of those lucky ducks up on my shelf. Like, I'm just waiting to use it as, like, a first player marker in something. But, yeah, it's super cute ducks. Nice. 
they uh so so yeah we played that and then i taught her how to play bowling dice uh which is uh yeah it was what we would call in this show an activity not a game because there are you roll the dice and then you write your score down and there's no risk there's no there's nothing you can do besides be good at rolling dice uh but really you're basically playing a game of bowling against someone else and uh and she won uh by being better at rolling the dice but uh it's 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 a game my wife and I always used to really like like when we first got into games before I was really into hobby games um and we were just playing like just like standard mass market fair and it was uh but it was it was always a game that we thought was fun cuz it was uh cuz again there's no real you know you just you just roll the dice you keep score it's kind of a nice math game for kids because they have to learn how to do bowling scoring uh which since pretty much every bowling alley in the world is now automated isn't something you have to do very often so yeah well if they ever like fall through time or something they'll know how to do bowling scoring and that's something it is no i mean you know if they have to time travel they will certainly be able to fit in uh doing bowling scoring which is which is good so it's uh (laughs) i like to have my kids prepared for every eventuality it's always it makes me feel like a good dad yeah, I mean, you know, that that could possibly happen. So they're completely fit for that scenario. Maybe not the scenario if they fall through time and there's a bunch of sharks. But, you know, that's a different day. That's for when they're older. Yes, that is true. Yeah, we'll go over shark punching when they get a little older, probably. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, that's what's, uh, that's what's been up with games to play. Uh, well, you know, I'm really excited to dive into our topic here and find out more about what it is you do uh, with your two game companies. So I would, uh, yeah, I'm going to let you just kind of start out by giving an overview and then I'll I'll be asking you questions as we go. So yeah, go, uh, you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. So um, the first company is Weird Draft Games and that's the one that most people know me for because I'm on Twitter and I go to conventions and everything with that. Um, so Weird Draft Games, we try to make really strategic games that are engaging, um, but just a little bit weird. So, like, they'll have, like, common mechanics uh, that you've seen before, but, like, just a twist on it um, so that they're different. And they're also generally, like, really weird themes. Like, we have Big Easy Busking, which is about um, being a street musician in New Orleans. Um, dreams of Tomorrow is about um, sending dreams into the past to save the future. And Fire in a Library is about saving books from a burning library. So a lot of variety in themes, but all of them are very colorful, like uh, the illustration. And I try really hard for accessibility. Um, and that's things like cognitive load, like making sure like everything has icons, people have reference cards, um, that there's a quick start guide on the back of the rule books to make it really easy to dive back into once you've learned how to play. Um, so that is Weird Draft Games. Um, the company is made up of me, um, my partner Nick, and my cat Fluffins. Um, Fluffins is a very integral co- part of the company. Um, uh, he knows whenever we have a meeting or whenever we're talking about the company, and he attends every meeting, so he has to be in the company, right? That's fantastic. Yes. You know, and uh, I would say not even knowing the cat, I would say that that cat has probably added more than Joshua J. Mills ever did with his game for sure. Uh, Yeah. 
not the big, big easy busking is an awesome game. Uh, Josh Mills, just an okay guy, has a checkered pass with his podcast. We're not really a fan. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. How do you not like Josh Mills, right? How do you not like Josh Mills? He's fantastic. I just like, I didn't know how to respond to that. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing, but okay. No, uh, actually, Josh Mills was the way that I originally heard about Weird Giraffe Games because. He was, we were at GrandCon together uh, and he got a little bit of artwork done for Big Easy Busking because he was really excited about it. Um, and then he started pitching pitching it to different companies and he uh, he finally hit, was talking to me and he's like, oh yeah, Weird Draft Games. And I said, oh, I haven't heard of them before. And uh, so anyways, yeah. And he talked about how awesome you all were and working with you and... Uh, yeah, so I I had actually forgotten uh, the, until you started talking that that was yeah that was Josh who did that game. So no, Josh is a good friend of mine. We just like to give each other a hard time. He uh, participated in our uh, second year of our Iron Design Challenge that we do every year at Gen Con, where we have two board game designers fight to the death uh, in a steel cage. Except for it's not actually to the death, uh, as evidenced by the fact that Josh is still alive because he got destroyed. Uh, when he was playing it, he it was it was quite embarrassing actually. Jason Tagmeyer, uh, beat the snot out of him uh, at at designing. So, so yeah. But no, we love Josh and we support him. <laughs> okay, great. Um, but I was so yeah. real quick though. I wanted to say uh, you mentioning things like thinking about cognitive loads, quick start guides on the back uh, of the rule books and such. That's so fantastic because. So many games um, are just difficult to get into when you've got like a 15-page rule book or something crazy and no good way to get through it, you know, to help out someone who's just learning. Um, and I, I try really hard to design games that fit into that feeling of I can learn really quickly. So hearing about a company that uses um, things like quick start guides and thinking about that, that's so important. And uh, I'm glad you all are doing that. Yeah, like, well, it's just so easy sometimes. Like, I play these games. Um, like, there's games that I've, like, been taught how to play, and I go, like, oh, yeah, I want to play that game again. And I go to bring it out, and it's like, oh, I haven't played this in six months, and I've also played several other games in between this time. If there was a reference card, I could just, like, oh, yeah, I know how to play this game. But, like, when there's not a reference card, it's like I have to read this whole rule book again and figure out like what I don't know like it's just really off-putting to me as a consumer so I want to like get rid of those barriers like you just like uh we even make a a video like you just you can uh, scan the QR code and there's a really quick video for the people that like videos they watch the video they can read the quick start and the reference cards and just jump in in like three minutes that is fantastic yeah that's you no know, having to go back through the whole rule book to read to look for one little thing. Um, that's with thicker games too. I love when they have say like a glossary in the back so that I can just look at terms instead of having to search for where did this term come up, you know. Um, but the short videos, fantastic. Those are I, I love watching those because it just gives you like oh visually this is what this should look like. Great, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've even started doing, like, sef- separate booklets. Like, you brought up the glossary. Well, like, in Dreams of Tomorrow, I have the main rules, which, you know, if you want to learn the game, read the main rules. And then there's a separate book that has a glossary. It also has, like, stories and extra content. But, like, 
all the examples, like, well, additional examples, because there's examples in the rule book as you're going. But, like, if you just want to, like, oh, I played this a year ago, I want to, like, catch back up, okay, look at this other rule book, and you're going. Nice. That's fantastic. Uh, so I do try to bring the accessibility and stuff to my other company as well, which is Galactic Raptor Games. So Galactic Raptor is a little bit different. Um, one, Fluffins is not involved all that much with it. Um, <laughs> he is a firm believer in weird giraffe games. Um, but uh, my partner Nick is part of that company as well, as is Dan Letzring, um, who is from Letterman Games. And... You know, like, spoiler, his last name is not Letterman, which I feel like was a miss, but um, I've, like, harassed him about that enough. Um, <laughs> um, he has done games such as uh, Gross, which was by Stephen Armini, um, Dino Dude Ranch. Uh, they recently localized Matryoshka. Um, so I met him at a, uh, Atlanta Protospiel, uh, I think two Protospiels ago. Maybe just one. Uh, all the conventions kind of like go together for me at this point. Um, but um, I met him at Atlanta Protospiel and we talked about how we both wanted to do like more different things. Um, but also we like working with people. Um, mm -hmm. So we're like, hey, we've known each other online. At that point in time, we both wrote for the Indie Game Report. Like he did his uh, Letterman lessons and I did like interviews and stuff. So we had like heard of each other before. Um, so we were like, hey, like let's just make a company and do this together and see what, what happens. Um, so with Galactic Raptor Games, um, we only have one title so far, which is Animal Kingdoms. Um, that was actually the winner of the Cardboard Edison uh, Awards, uh, I think at this point, two years ago. Um, but yeah, um, it's been really exciting working on that because uh, with Dan, I, like, if there's anything where I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't know about this or like, what do I do? All these, like, I could choose A, B, or C. And they're all about the same to me. I don't actually care. So then I go to Dan. I'm like, Dan, just pick one. I don't care. And I just want a decision made. And he's like, I don't care either. So A. Um, or like, <laughs> and like, it's just like really great to have like somebody else that is just willing to like make a decision or give me feedback on things or like. Like, I travel a lot, so I'll be like, hey, we got in, all these parts are missing, or we need to send out these deluxe versions, and I'm in California, so can you just cover all this stuff? And um, just having another person to uh, to do things is really great. Oh, yeah. Having somebody else to, to share the load with is uh, is a pretty big deal when it comes to the heavy lifting that is publishing, right? Especially when you're traveling a bunch, which is just goes with publishing as well. Do you all do booths at many conventions? So each year I've been doing more booths. Um, this year I will have a booth at Gamma, Origins, Gen Con, Geekway to the West, PAXU. I already had a booth at Rocket City Game Fest, which is just like a, our local convention. But uh, maybe I'll do a couple other local things as well. Um, but I'm at all the major ones. Oh, uh, actually, we're not going to be at Dice Tower East this year. 
none of the dice towers. Okay. It's a sad thing. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a good number of conventions though. And origins and Gen Con are two, two ones I'm always at. So I'll have to check that out there. Uh, where are you all based at? Um, well, I'm based out of Huntsville, Alabama, and Dan is based out of Rochester, New York. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, we have a, we have a really good, uh, convention up here, uh, in the Grand Rapids area. It's a bit of a, bit of a hike for you all, but, uh, that, um, called Grand Con and they, they're really good for, uh, for publishers and such. Cause there's not, um, yeah, booths are, booths are a good deal. And, uh, it still seems like most publishers do a pretty good amount of, uh, sales and there's a lot of traffic. So it's, it's probably a bit larger than Geekway, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Grand Con is one I definitely want to go to. I'm thinking about it this year. Um, I've met Brian, who runs it, and he is, like, such a fantastic person. And he's like, oh, yeah, I also run this convention. And it's like, well, just knowing him, it's like, yeah, it's going to be so great because he's a great person. That's my absolute favorite convention to go to every year just because it's – all like I have friends from all over the country that drive in for it just because I, um, I have some friends out of St. Louis that say, even though there's Geekway, they think of, uh, they think of Grand Con as their hometown con because it's where all their friends are. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a really good one. It's a big, nice open space, uh, easy to find people, easy to have time to play games, you know? Yeah. I absolutely love it. So I, I always like to plug that whenever I can. Yeah, and I always need, like, more actually, like, playing games cons, uh, because I go to so many that are, like, oh, they're for networking, or for running a booth, or for, like, prototyping, like, you know, actually getting to play, like, published games, and just being able to talk with other people, like, that's hard, (laughs) or hard to find in a convention. Yeah, yeah, even just going as a designer, where you're trying to have meetings and network and such... It, it, there are a lot of cons where I feel like I do not sit down enough and play games. I mean, Gen Con last year, it was just like a gauntlet running to meetings. And, you know, it was, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not whining because it's good to have that problem. But yeah, it's, it is tough sometimes to be like, gosh, I just want to sit down and play some games, you know, and not have to do work. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, work comes first. So, yes, yes. <sighs> So where do you, um, you know, when it comes to uh, doing these two companies, you've given some good positives as to why you're doing the two companies. And, but what, what do you think is the biggest struggle from a publishing perspective, uh, either for both companies or for, you know, for each one individually or together? What, what has been the biggest challenge for you all? Well, mainly just time, because I don't just run two companies. I also do consulting, which brings in like, actual money like right now um which is important because well like publishing like it will theoretically pay off at some point in the future um and i don't pay myself so i could work all day at weird draft games but i also like having food and such (laughs) um you know we all have to eat so uh trying to run two publishing companies and uh, doing the consulting work, and also uh, I'm a game designer as well, and getting time to do that, um, and just balancing all the different loads, uh, and just the learning process of it all, because like, okay, I've been uh, with Weird Draft Games uh, since 2016, which is like, 
I have four years of experience at this point. And you would think, like, you know, I'd know everything. But the fact is, is, like, everything's changing all the time. Like, each new convention I go to, I have to, like, figure it out. Because, like, just because I've been to Origins doesn't mean I know how to run, like, a booth at Gen Con or at Pack Shoe. Because each of them have a different, like, game that you should, or game type that you should try to advertise and show off. And there's all these different things. Like, with Origins, it's really good to do events. Because events... Uh, like people go and they just sign up for random events so you can like introduce your stuff to more people that way but doing events at Gen Con like you have to be your own advertising and like fill those seats for those events um, and just learning that like learning that events are different at each con and like at Geekway um, it's really important to do play to wins so I mean and also just keeping it all straight because, like, I am, like, I cannot remember anything at all. So I have, like, infinite number of uh, just documents that I look at and, like, oh, okay, I'm thinking about a convention. Uh, did I actually pay for the Gen Con booth? Uh, and then I go <laughs> right. to the talk. Well, like, that happened the other day where, like, I had all the memories of paying for the Geekway booth. And Geekway emailed me, and they're like, hey, we approved your Geekway booth, but you haven't bought one yet. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? Like, because I remembered, like, I had booth 14 because I stared at, like, the the booth chart, and you get to choose your booth at Geekway, which is really cool. That so, is. like, I spent a lot of time, like, choosing that, and I was like, oh, no, it's going to be gone. I'm going to get, like, the worst one in the corner. Um, but because they sent that email and because I responded, like, immediately, because I went into, like, panic mode, I was able to get a booth, not 14, but I did get nine, which was, like, across the way. It was definitely not the worst. So, all is well with that. But, like, that's the, the sort of thing is, like, um, with all these conventions and stuff, like, I've already paid for my Gen Con booth, Origins, uh, maybe Pax U, and those conventions are months and months away from now. Uh, so, like, if you want to be, like, a person that has a booth at a convention, one, you're just always going to be out of, like five thousand dollars because it perpetually goes to the next year um but you have to keep it all on track and like know about insurance and taxes and all those things and i just have a document because i've given up on my memory the uplifting thing for me here is all of these descriptions you're making uh here really makes being a game designer sound easy so (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, that's the, such an easy part of it. Like, uh, so, like, what I do to relax is game design. And, like, game design, I can do whatever I feel like with the game and just, like, make the cards and put it in front of people. And usually whenever I put it in front of people, I have a path. Like, I know what to fix and do, and it's just, like, so easy. Like, um, like you don't have to work with others or get other people to do things or get info. Well, I guess you kind of have to get info from people, but, like, um, I've gotten really good at just, like, watching people when they play test, so I kind of, like, know what they're thinking, um, which it was actually uh, pretty helpful because, like, um, I used to be a software engineer, and we would do these things uh, where we'd, like, test out the software and put it in front of people and just watch how they used it and where their mouse went, Yep, which was 
great because I instantly, like, I took all those skills that I learned for software and just put it straight to game design because it's the same thing, like, watching where people are looking. Like, why are they looking over there? Well, I guess I need to change that icon because people kept staring at that corner of the card, and that corner of the card is, you know, just useless. I mean, I put a picture there for reasons, and I'll just get rid of that now because it's distracting. Like that sort of thing. (laughs) Right, right. No, I, I never thought I used to work in uh, software design as well. And uh, I never thought about it that way. But that's a really good point that a lot of those skills for watching people and how they interact with things is, is useful as a designer when you're watching playtesters. You um, you do you all use uh, Kickstarter for your games? Yep, we use it for all the games. How's the uh, experience with that been? like a love-hate relationship um so as i said before i'm a software designer so like i don't know the whole interface to kickstarter is rather frustrating but i did get to like sit down with a kickstarter software engineer and he was just like hey tell me all the things and i'm like i've been waiting for this moment uh so i told him all the things like we we were there for like at least a half an hour and to get a half an hour at PAX Unplugged for me is like a lot. Um, but it's like little things with Kickstarter where like their messages, there's not a next button. And that has frustrated me like ever since they made like they made them the messages probably. Um, or like the fact that like when you're making your page for Kickstarter, if, it puts in random spaces for images and stuff like that. So like from a, like, I guess creator standpoint, it's kind of frustrating sometimes, but I still use it because the benefits far outweigh all the like little, Oh my gosh, there's no next button. Um, so like, I wouldn't be able to create games without Kickstarter. I don't think so because it just, it gives me a platform that other people trust. Like everyone's at this point or everyone that uses Kickstarter, at least is perfectly fine. Like putting in their credit card information for Kickstarter because they know like it's not going to get stolen. And like, even like just thinking about simple things like that, like I don't buy games from like all the different like websites because I'm like, Hey, I don't know, like, I can just get it off of Amazon, and I know Amazon, and Amazon is easy, whereas I don't know if this is actually a secure website. Like, just simple things like that. And, like, everyone knows the process of Kickstarter now. Like, and there is a process. Like, there wasn't, like, as much when I started. Um, Like, just with the, the Tuesday thing, like... Like, sure, Tuesdays, like, uh, were kind of, like, a thing when I started, like, uh, because of that Jamie Stegmeier article, but at this point, like, Tuesdays are the day for board game Kickstarter, and if you don't do Tuesday, it's a mistake. Well, I say that as somebody who, like, I used to love Mondays, because taking a Monday off was, like, so much easier than taking a Tuesday off. Right. Like, I mean, that's just, like, why didn't everyone do Mondays? And then, like, we'd just all, like, be happier in the workplace. Um, But I stopped doing Mondays, um, mainly because I was doing Mondays. And, like, I'm one of those people who, 
like I communicate a lot and I communicate a lot with the reviewers and I would, I basically send them like an email like every week or every other week. And I was like, Hey, this is the Kickstarter date. This is a Kickstarter date. You know, when the Kickstarter is right, you're going to have your review go off on the Kickstarter date. Right. And everyone said yes. And then, um, I think it was actually big easy busking where, um, the Kickstarter date went off and the reviews didn't happen. And I was like, what? But, but I asked you so many times, like, what, what happened? And, like, I, I messaged these uh, different reviewers and stuff, and they're like, oh, we thought that you had a date wrong because it wasn't Tuesday, and it's obviously going to be Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, well, obviously it should have been Tuesday. Um, or um, if you do want to do a weird day, I would say, like, put... Like, like if you want to do Monday or Wednesday, like in your correspondence with people, um, just, uh, like just put really big and bold, like this is happening and it's happening on Monday, Monday, like, like the largest font is going right. to be Monday. <laughs> like and send that, like just send an email and it's like Monday the 25th. That's what it is. Nothing else, and you know, like maybe it'll it'll work better for you than it did for me. Right. No, that's interesting. I I actually forgot about the Tuesday thing with launching because I haven't run a Kickstarter campaign in several years since like 2013, I think. Um. So, but I'm thinking about running a couple, so I will remember that. The big thing I always remembered from Jamie Stegmeyer's thing was the nines was charge $9, like ended a $9 for everything because people are dumb and they'd rather pay. Like he was nicer than that, but like basically he was saying people are dumb. And if you charge 15, they're less likely to buy it than if you charge 19. And that's basically for free dollars. I'm paraphrasing again. Jamie sounds real smart when he says stuff, but you know, that's one of the takeaways I remember. Yeah, well, like, that's a big thing with just publishing and stuff, too. Like, you have to know, like, so much psychology about things. Like, well, with Kickstarter, um, it's much better to have, like, a lower funding goal, like, if you can, um, because more people will back a project that's been funded. Yep, yep. Love to back a winner. <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's funny. So I've been watching for the last week now here, five days, I think, um, the Marvel United Kickstarter by Simon. Um, and, uh, because I'm, I'm just a Marvel fanboy, And so, but watching how they run it is so interesting because there's like, so there's miniatures in this game and there's going to be like 70 of them, but they're slowly releasing like one at a time via stretch goals. And then like so many days in, they'll add a new add on that you can buy where it's like buy this expansion, but they don't like front load at all. They just, you know, they, and what's happening is they've had almost like 9,000 comments. Now people are just constantly commenting, following, like paying attention because you never know when the new thing's coming. Right. So they've got like these, this, they've just got this like slathering audience now. Whereas if, if they had just threw everything out there first and said, here's all the stuff people would just back it and then check in every once in a while. Right. But they're, they're basically tricking you into watching it constantly, hoping to see that next, that next reveal. Right. So just mm -hmm. thinking of the psychology of it all. Yeah. 
and just getting people engaged and caring so much because like now that you've gone through that and you've like looked at the page so much like um it's also really easy for you to be like oh that extra one is only nine dollars or however much it is so it's just nine dollars and who cares about that and then like if every three days you add on another nine dollars like that adds up a lot but it doesn't feel like it at the time right that was one of the things somebody said was it's $60 for the base game and 30 bucks for the first expansion. And somebody's like, wow, 90 bucks? This is a steal. I can't believe that that they would charge this little for this game. And somebody's like, this is clearly your first uh, Kickstarter run by them. Uh, you're going to spend a couple hundred to $300, just FYI, <laughs> if you want everything. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, but you're right. It's working people up slowly of, oh, I could spend a few more dollars here. And um, you know, I notice that I see that a lot with, with, with smaller publishers as well, where they'll, um, they won't necessarily start by allowing you to order some of their previous games, but then they'll slowly drop those in as they go to attempt to, you know, Oh, I could just add that on to help the Kickstarter campaign move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a nice extra thing. Somebody once told me, and maybe this was a Jamie Stegmeyer thing, I don't remember for sure, but they said, always put out there ways to allow people who want to spend more money to spend more money on your Kickstarter campaign. Because some people just want to, they want to help, um, and don't make it hard for them to do that. You know, allow them to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like I've had uh, plenty of those where like, um, I've allowed you to put your name into the game or like... Uh, to name songs like in Big Easy Busking, uh, people could like name the songs uh, that you, you know, you were learning songs and playing songs. And some people are like, "Whoa, I can make a personalized game that's me," and they will, they're willing to just throw a hundred dollars at that, and like that makes them happy, and it also makes me happy because now I have an, another hundred dollars to hopefully like deal with any issues and whatnot. So yeah, I definitely like try to do that in all my campaigns of. Just give somebody, like, if they have lots of money, they can do what they want and give it to me. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Man, if I'd have known you could name a song, I would have paid big money to name a song that would have made fun of Josh. So, yeah, that was a miss <laughs> oh, yeah. on my part. Yeah, well, and now, like, it makes the games really, like, fun for me. Um, well, because, yeah, in Big Easy Busking, like, all the songs are named. I went and I made up a lot of them, and that was, like, a fun day for me. Um, but, yeah, like, I know um, there's the Bird Blues in there because that was uh, one of my friends, Justin Bird. Uh, he bought the song, and now, like, every time I see that card, I, I'm reminded of Justin. Um, or in my game, uh, Stellar Leap, I let people, like, name some asteroids and plants and stuff. Nice. And so I got to, like, get to know one of the backers because, uh, well, I didn't actually get to let them name things um, unless they missed, they didn't know what they were doing, and they're like, oh, yeah, I want it named like this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, you get you paid me money, you get to do what you want. Um, but I got to learn about one of these backers and his wife, because, um, like, all the asteroids in that game, um, well, asteroids in general are named with a number and, I don't know, a word. Um, right. So I got to, like, learn about his relationship, and, like, I know, like, his his partner's name is Caroline, and that they were, uh, they got together in 1988, because, like, every time I see that card, it's the 1988 Caroline, and it's just, like, I know all these things about this game that I made that, like, other people don't. They just see, like, words and 
you know, numbers and stuff. But, like, it, it makes it more important to me because it gets me, like, connected with these people and I, like, remember it forever, basically. That's super cool. I When I did my first Kickstarter... Uh, I allowed people to, it was a, a game called Water Balloon Washout, and I allowed people to send in pictures of their kids and have us actually put a caricature of their kids as one of the kids in the game uh, for, a, for a fee. And uh, and I sold out of those. It was pretty cool. So now every time I play, I'm like, oh, that was this one person's kid or, you know, yeah. So I know where you're coming from. It's really cool. So when it comes to, I'm thinking about if somebody wanted to do what you're doing, somebody wanted to get in. They've got the time, right? What do you think is the hardest thing for them, the biggest hurdle they're going to have to jump if somebody wants to start doing some publishing on their own? So if you have the time, like you'll find out that you actually don't have all the time that you need to actually publish. Um, There's such a variety of skills and things that need to get done and just like the level of organization skills that you need to have to keep everything straight to have like a schedule that actually works and a schedule like well what I mean by that like uh, I have certain games that are coming out at certain times in the year um and being able to keep that in your head and to do like every micro task that goes into like creating a game because like every game like like you might look at a game but that required like 3,000 different tasks to be completed to get it done on a schedule and at the right times and talking to the right people. Um, so yeah, just the, the organization that's needed for that and the, your processes and things like that. Like, um, I'm always trying out like new different like applications and stuff like that to try to make me like more efficient, um, because there's so many things you can do and no one really has all the answers. Like, like you can go and post like a question in one of the, like the, the tabletop Kickstarter game advice and, like depending on the question you might get 30 different answers and all 30 of those answers could be the right answer for that person um but you have to choose which one you're going to do and like figure out if it's the right answer for you like there's no one way to run a business especially a small business in this ever-changing market so just like being able to actually like figure out what is good and, like, being able to reflect on that, like, um, uh, I used to uh, work in, like, an agile environment, um, and what agile is, is uh, it's, like, kind of a methodology for how you work, where, like, um, you have sprints, um, and you try to figure out, okay, what am I going to get done this week, and you fill up your task list, and you try to, you work for a week, um, and then you look back, and you're like, oh, okay, so I did that week, um, I got 10 of the 15 things I wanted to get done, I got 10 other things done, and do I still actually even need to do these five things that I thought were super important last week, but during the week, I was just like, eh, not as important as these other things, and it gets you, like, into this whole, like, uh, thinking about how you work and why you work and trying to improve on everything. Um, and also like constantly looking at like, is the thing you're going to do, like, is that the most important thing? Because like, well, everyone learns things like, like you can't possibly know like all the things that will happen. Like last year with the tariffs, like I went over and over all those tariff things. And it turns out this year we don't have tariffs. 
Well, right now we don't. But who knows? Maybe next week we'll actually have tariffs. But, like, it seemed like every week it was back and forth on, like, what kind of tariffs we'd have, like, the amount, if it was actually going to happen or not. Uh, But, yeah, that was a very stressful part of my life, and I just hope that nobody ever brings it up again. Um, (laughs) But, like, things like that. Like, or, like, okay, like, um, I have a game that I had scheduled for last October. Okay. It was scheduled for October, and I did not run a Kickstarter in October because the art wasn't done. And I've since rescheduled it for this May, and I will most likely reschedule it for 2021. Um, But being, like, I have enough things in progress, and I'm also flexible enough in everything that I can do that. Like, Like, instead of having that game happen i'm going to have like the final library card game go um which is probably even like a better uh decision like business wise um but being able to like look at your decisions and go like okay so that was the best decision i made with the knowledge that i had but i know more now so i'm going to change the the plan and go for this different plan and then actually stick with the different plan and not like get hung up on the whole fact that i didn't know like what could possibly happen? No, that's really, wow, that's a lot there. Um, you know, one of the things you said in there that I really thought was interesting um, was that you could go somewhere, ask for help, get 30 answers, and uh, only one, and they're all 30 correct answers, but you have to figure out what the right one for you and your company is. And that, yeah, I mean, that is so true, and it's so hard to... Um, doing that can be really difficult, right? Figuring out what that right answer is out of all of those answers that are also right. They're just not a good fit for you or your company. Yeah, that's that's really daunting. Well, and like there's no like guide for this. Like, well, the, the best guide is probably like uh, the combination of like Jamie Stegmeyer's blogs plus uh, James Matthews, like uh, uh, his previous blog that he had like both of them together had a bunch of great information but like if you read jamie stegmeyer's blog like you can't go and emulate what he did because he did that in the past like you can take and learn some lessons but you can't like just by reading what he did you can't do the exact same thing because like uh he did viticulture like at least five or six years ago, and that Kickstarter environment was very different. Um, so you just need to be able to like learn everything you can and then apply it to your situation in the best way possible and know that you're going to make so many mistakes, um, but also not to like get bogged down in the whole like mistake thing because, you know, nobody's doing it perfectly, right? They might like seem like it, but like... I don't know. I make so many mistakes every day that nobody wants to know all of them. Right, right. But it's good to admit that because so many people do like to act like everything's perfect and they do everything perfect and you know it's you know it's crap. All right. Well, hey, I would like to... Uh, so normally now in the show, we switch to what we call practicing the pitch where the guest pitches a game idea they have and you are a game designer, but uh, I wanted to give you the chance to talk about your next game coming out on Kickstarter uh, well, actually, is out right now on Kickstarter. So I thought uh, we could have you give us a little rundown of that game. Okay, so that game is called 
Tumbletown. And Tumbletown is a spatial puzzle set collection town and engine building game for one to four players that plays in about 45 minutes. So in the game, you are in the Old West and you're trying to become the mayor. Um, and so we have this competition because, you know, like, what do you do in the Old West to, like, decide things? Like, competition is you know, the obvious choice. Um, so we're going to be making our little town um, to try to, like, be the mayor so that we can actually, like, you know, take over the town and make decisions. Um, so in this game, uh, you are drafting different building plans that each have different requirements. Like, each building, it might have a requirement to have two brown dice that are between values one and three. Um, or that, like, that building is, like, super easy. But it could get harder where you need, like, four gold dice and a gray one, and all the sum of them have to be over 24, which is, you know, particularly hard. Um, so you're going to want to draft building plans that you can possibly make. Um, but each of these building plans, they give you a certain power. Like, it might be dice manipulation. It might help you uh, gain more dice. It might help you, like, uh change the dice in some way, or they could give you extra scoring conditions for the end of the game. Um, and this is one of the things I really enjoy about the game, is that you get all of these choices, um, and your horse even cares about the certain style icon, so each of them has an icon. So if you're really into set collection, you can just go like, okay, I'm just going to take dice, or take building plants that I'm pretty sure I can like build that have the green icon um, and you can do that or you can go like hardcore into a different direction and get these different scoring goals and some of the scoring goals like like one of them cares about eagles in your town so you can look at the different cards and what most people think when they initially look at it is that they're just like it's just art and decoration and it is art and decoration for the most part unless you have this other building that really cares about eagles or certain types of a cacti or even like the windmills um so yeah like you can go heavy into the, like oh, okay i'm gonna get cards that have windmills but are also green and also have engine building things because like that is the path i want to be on um i think the game has like so much replayability because of all that and it has so many different building plans oh and i forgot the best part uh sorry uh so there's a spatial puzzle aspect to it as well. So you build your little buildings, and every time you construct a building, you get a power that you can use on a later turn, or it's an instant power. But then you place the little building that you have constructed out of dice onto Main Street. And the people of the town have said like that they want a certain Main Street to happen. Um, like Maybe they want like a buildings that have a black on their base on like a certain part of the um the main street they've also said that they will like one space alleyways between each building so if you can like make the spatial puzzle work as well you'll get a lot of bonus points oh wow nice that's a nice extra little layer on top of that um, this game sounds like right in kind of the breadbasket of the type of game that I'm in love with. So I'm, I'm super stoked about this. I'm going to be checking it out on Kickstarter for sure. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone listening wants to check out the Kickstarter, they can go to, uh, weird draft games, uh, slash TTKS. Um, and it should go right to the Kickstarter page. Awesome. Now, who was the designer on this one? 
So this was designed by Kevin Russ, who is also the designer of Calico, which is coming from Flat Out Games. Excellent, excellent. Um, no, this, uh, I, I love, I mean, I, you basically hit the things that I really enjoy. I like, uh, games where you're building things. Uh, I love special powers in games where I build something and then I get to do something, you know, I purchase something and I get now a special ability based on that. Spatial puzzles are also something I'm a big fan of. So yeah, no, I can't wait to check this out. Uh, and so this is on Kickstarter now. What is the, um, what's the price point on it? Uh, so to get the base game, it is twenty nine dollars. Nice. Um, but there's also a cool playmat if you love playmats, and that's for an extra twenty. Awesome, yeah. Playmats for for certain games are real awesome to have. Excellent. No, twenty nine bucks. That sounds like a great deal for that. So awesome. Well, I personally would be checking it out for sure. Well, I mean, it has a hundred dice. So worst case scenario, you have a bunch of dice. Wow, it has a hundred dice. Yeah, that's that's a lot of dice. Now I'm even more interested. <laughs> so no, that's I pretty. Mean, that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good deal. Twenty nine bucks for a, with including a hundred dice. Wowza! Awesome. Well, excellent. Well, hey, um, I want to thank you again, Carla, for being on the show. I'm excited to have uh, had you here and learn a bit about what you do. And uh, I think there's some things in here that we're going to be super relevant for our listeners. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm also excited to hear about your game you've got coming out here. Um, so uh, I'm going to do the, uh, is there anything else you want to throw out there before I do the end here? So I talked a little bit about how I consult, but like if you want to just uh, get my knowledge on anything, I do consulting work. Um, my favorite part of consulting is doing uh, solo design. So if your game has, uh, you know, it's two to four players, uh, you can make or you can pay me to make it solo. And I've been having a lot of fun with this. Oh, that's uh, well, cool. Solo design is fun. Uh, well, solo design is super easy for me. Um, I have a master's degree in robotics, um, which I'm using in the way to make robots for analog board games. <laughs> so uh, I guess those years of my life paid off in some weird manner. Um, yes, analog robots. Yeah, making an analog robot is actually not that hard if you really know so much about robotics. That's wow. That is something that I would have not thought about tying together, but it makes a total, it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just really like a, a big wild statement or if statement, like a series of that. And it's like, yep. well, it can only be as long as a card. So I can write that function. Right. Oh, that's very cool. How can, uh, how can people find you, uh, out, uh, in the world? So I have a website, it's weirddraftgames.com. I'm on Twitter, at weirddrafts, which is, does have that S on the end. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under Weird Draft Games. And if you feel like it, you can also friend me on Facebook at Carla Cop, um, Or my email, contact at weirddraftgames.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Carla, for, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you. So everybody, if you want to get in touch with the show, uh, you can reach out to us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can uh, email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770-TELL-BTG. You can also find us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. 
Uh, and then also find us on Facebook and all the different places where you can stream podcasts. So for that, uh, with everything, we will say good night. Good night, everyone, and thank you so much for watching or listening. Because this is unwatching. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BGG. Please don't use the email.